the third. We rank three. Most unengaged, most unaware, most don't care. We rank number three. That is alarming. But you know what? I believe by the grace of God that it is changing. Something is happening, not just in Cambridge, but in Boston, not just in Boston, but in all of New England. God is beginning to raise up a faithful core of people who are not just bowing or bending to statistics. But they're looking in the face of what the facts are. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist. I never just say, oh, well, those are the facts and kind of just hide, you know, my head in the sand and go on with life. I say, God, you can change. It was funny. Um, Sean Foyet, who is part of our 110 conference, uh, he had been ministering throughout the years pretty faithful in New England, coming and doing different worship events with other ministries and such. We did something with him a while back. And he walked in Saturday night to 110, and I don't know if you were there in worship, man. It was explosive. I mean, people were dancing. I thought Israel was going to start beating people. Was, he's like moshing. I don't even know what it was. I was like, ah! You know, I was like, he's like, but you know what? He like led the charge, and like all the people just came for it. Like, yeah, I can do this. You know, we had white people. I mean, even I was trying to bust a move up there. I'm like, I'm like, how do you do this? But Israel was cutting a rug. But it was explosive. And, and Sean came in and he's like, actually, no, he came in. And I guess from talking to him after Sunday, we went out to dinner with his family, lovely family, and the, the drummer who came and the, his family. And Sean said when they first walked in Saturday, his wife looked at him and said, is this New England? Are we like, are we like really in Boston, Cambridge right now? Is this, because they said they have never, ever in seven to eight years of faithful ministry in the city have witnessed anything like that in New England. So something is changing and it's continuing to change. And so I want to be part of that. And I believe we are part of that in a major, a major way, a significant way. If you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll get into the Word of God. Holy Spirit, breathe upon this message. Breathe upon us. Lord, we don't want just information. Today, we want revelation. And so, God, we ask, Lord, by your Spirit, that you would grant us revelatory knowledge of your Scripture. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Let's start in verse 23, although we will briefly unpack the whole chapter by the grace of God, quickly. I said briefly. We're not going to get into all the details. But at verse 23, the writer of Hebrews says this, Let us hold tightly without wavering to keep the hope we affirm. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, so it might be a di- bit different than what you're seeing on the overhead. So again, in verse 23, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Come on, just close your eyes. Say this with me. God, God, come on, you can be trusted trusted to keep your promise. promise. Say it again. God, God, you can be trusted trusted in keeping your promise. promise. Verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Hebrews chapter 10, matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 1 through 10, 
the writer of Hebrews, he's going on in great detail of explaining the benefits, excuse me, of the new covenant. He forcefully, if you would, outlines the limitations, doesn't he? If you are familiar with the first nine verses of Hebrews, he outlines the limitations of the law and its provisions for approaching God. He starts off by even going to the book of Psalms in chapter 40, 6 through 8. He uses that particular text to establish that the whole sacrificial system has been replaced by the obedient self-offering of Christ. Someone say, Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad that we're not sacrificing animals anymore for our sins? Thank you, God, for Jesus, that there's forgiveness of sin. And that's what persuasively the writer of Hebrews does, forcefully. And it's a very elegant uh, book in the Bible, well-written. Some would attribute its writings to Paul, but that's in uh, debate But if you fast forward a bit to 19 through 39 of chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, the writer calls us to hold fast to this new covenant. Unfortunately, much like most writings and teaching of the Old Testament, Paul and others, other apostles are trying to redirect from one way of doing life, one covenant, an old covenant, system where people were responding to God in a certain manner and and forcefully and persuasively changing it, saying, no, Christ has come and bringing into light the new covenant of which we live in. Some people, sadly, kept on going back to that law, going back to that old. We have a tendency of doing that, don't we? We always kind of go back to what's familiar. But By the grace of God, we have these awesome writers, these awesome communicators of the Word of God, and they are trying to shift and move the body towards the new covenant. Um, The first uh, is, I'm sorry, there are two things, excuse me, that we have as Christians, according to the writer here. uh, And in in this uh, chapter, chapter 10, 22 through 25, uh, the writer makes a threefold charge, if you would. I don't know how, any, how, how I could explain that any way else other than that, but hold on, I'll try to kind of give it more detail and body. If I don't hit my scroller pad, because I, I need my notes, not like my wife. Okay, so the first chord, if you would, the first charge is that we have confidence to enter the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus. Somebody, that is good enough news. We can close the book, just go home, and rest in that. We have access because of Jesus to the presence and the person of God. The word translated confidence is found in four important contexts in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 3, verse 6. Chapter 4, 16. Chapter 10, 19. And chapter 10, 35. God gives us the confidence through the gospel, through his son Jesus, to enter his presence. Not with shame, not with fear, not being cowardly, but boldly, the word says, approaching the presence of God. Some of you look like a deer caught in headlights. That is the greatest news that you will ever hear in your life. You may think that, you know, your latest you know, musician just wrote the greatest line or your, your, your favorite actor just made the greatest movie uh, or whatever, but this is the greatest news that had ever reached humanity. 
even thousands of years later, this still rings. Some of us live in a days. We don't understand that we have a free, open accessibility, if you would, to God. Many in the Old Testament would have given their lives for, to see and to have what we have as believers. And most of us just, yeah, that's nice. That's huge, friend. That is very huge. And today we are gathered around what Christ has done for us. So fundamentally, those chapters that I uh, spoke of earlier, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, 6, Hebrews chapter 4, 16, 10, 19, and 10, 35, God gives us confidence through the gospel. Fundamentally, it speaks uh, of the confidence we should have, again, to the free and open access to God based on the unique sacrifices of Jesus, sacrifice of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews makes the connection later on in chapter 10. He makes the connections between Christ's entrance into the heavenly sanctuary and our own. We're joint heirs with Christ. Again, the list of scriptures leading up to chapter 10 is Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. Just so you can go back, I'd encourage you to go back. Hebrews chapter 6, 19 through 20. In other words, he, meaning Christ, has opened essentially a new and living way for us to enter into the presence of God with confidence. The second of three, uh, full charge, if you would, of Hebrews chapter 10 is that um, we have as Christians a great high priest. Come on. Just kind of the fundamentals of the New Testament. We have a great high priest over us. I love what, some of you probably don't like him, but Mark Driscoll, okay? I know, I know, okay? Not necessarily, I know that he's been caught in semantics. God's restoring him and whatnot. But he had always said this in some of his teaching and referring to Christ is that, listen, I'm not your shepherd. We have a great high shepherd, Jesus, and he is who is shepherding us. And that is just the truth. Even though I pastor this church today, Before you, I know that Jesus ultimately shepherds us together, me included. And I love that because it breaks or frees me up. (laughs) You know, I know I have an obligation. I know that I have a duty, but it frees me up to know, oh, no, Jesus, you are in charge. You are our shepherd. You are our leader. So we have a great high priest over the house of God. And it's clear in the book of uh, Hebrews that the house of God are the people of God. It's not some structure. It's not some building. We are the house and he is our high priest. Our great high priest, Jesus, has made it possible for us again to draw near to God together. Church. why Jesus said if two or three are gathered in my name I am there with them I am there in their midst I mean it's interesting that Jesus would describe or define his nearness in the context of people together we all I believe we all have our personal Jesus I guess if you would in our, our prayer closet Jesus But what remarkable words for Christ to say, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. I mean, what an opportunity. Let's just, 
Let's just stop right here, ponder that thought, and say, why don't we go to church? (laughs) If Christ is amongst the gathering of his people, sure there's no limit to this number, you know, we should be, the the church should be full with people. Every opportunity gathering together. Why? Because Jesus is in the mix. He is amongst us. Man, I want to be where Jesus at, is at. And remember, it's interesting in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus says this. It's in the context of Jesus teaching on the course of action we should take if one of our brothers are to fall and to sit against us. The whole context of this chapter is about our togetherness. That's wild to me in light of what we're about to discuss here today. The whole chapter of this is how to deal with one another's sins and offenses. And it's all in the context of our oneness. It's all in the context of our our brotherhood, if you would, you know, of us actually doing life together. And Jesus sums up this chapter with saying, hey, yep, this is how we deal with sin. This is how we deal with offense. This is how we forgive. But remember this. In the midst of all that clutter, in the midst of all that uh, flesh and human nature, I am present. (laughs) That's wild to me. That Jesus doesn't hold like some kind of measuring stick if he'll show up. No, he just says, hey, listen, this is how you deal with different offenses. This is how you forgive. You know, even in the context of your, your brother, he goes on to say, if your brother doesn't forgive you, if he can't, work through the issue, then bring another with you. And even in the context of saying, if that doesn't work, bring him before the whole church. It's all with the intention of restoring one another. It's not with the intention of exposure. It's just saying, hey, you know, I mean, I came to you, bro. I'm, I'm honoring scripture. It's all in the context of restoration. It's all in the context of life together. Yeah, some of us get offended, man. We're done. Close the book. I'm out of this place. We we have a responsibility. That's what I hope to communicate the clearest to us today. We have a responsibility to one another. Come on. Some of you are like, that's not true. (laughs) I don't believe you. you, you, It doesn't matter. Your life shows it anyways. We have a responsibility to one another. Come on. And it's not just a shepherd shepherding 200 plus people. It's all of us shepherding one another. That's why the Bible says, be ye submitted to one another. There's so much in the New Testament about our care towards one another. And even in Jesus' words, it's all about bringing light to that care and that affection that we should have with one another. Most translation uses the word, and now we're going back to Matthew 18, uh, against you. Um, And I'm talking about Jesus' teaching on how to deal with unforgiveness or calling out sin in another brother and trying to find um, uh, reconciliation. I can never say that word. Thank you, reconciliation. I don't know why I can't say that word. It's like a... It's like you have those tongue twisters. Miriam, don't, don't smile at me like you know what I know. Like the orator of English. 
But the word against you, when Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, most biblical scholars believe that those words are not part of the original text and essentially are unhelpful or unhelpfully restrict the scope of Jesus' teaching. Meaning, the course of action of taking only if you've sinned against, or only if you're sinned, excuse me, against by another, that's partially what Jesus meant, but not entirely. The idea here is that we would be sensitive to one another's needs, okay? The needs of our fellow brothers, our fellow sisters, who maybe are struggling, who maybe are close to falling, that we would be sensitive and that we would work collectively to restore one another to the faith. Again, I already said this, but when even Jesus goes on to say, and if they don't believe after the first time, take another with you, it's all in the context of restoration and love. Listen to Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two people are better than one, for they can help each other, for they can help each other, excuse me, to succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if someone falls alone, they're in real trouble. In essence, that's what Jesus is communicating here in Matthew chapter 18. Ultimately, if we go even a little further, it's what the writer of Hebrews is communicating also. Do not neglect. You know, you can sit in church and show up. You can get, like, the award if there was one. I don't know if there's, you know, for the most Sundays attended, you know. Do you know that you can sit in a seat, but you can not really be a part? Do you know that you can come, but you can neglect? Doesn't Paul liken us to a body? And if one part of the body is not working, is not functioning, the whole body suffers. And not one part of the body is more important than the other part of the body. It's the whole part of the body working together that makes it so special and effective in the earth. But you can sit, you can breathe the same air, you can warm the seat that you're sitting in, and all the while neglect God's purpose for you in a context like this. You know that it would be impossible for me to think about shepherding every one of you guys and gals. I, I, I couldn't do it. It would be virtually impossible. I would spread myself thin. I would probably end up in divorce, uh, you know, just because I'm neclecting my family. No, I'm just joking, guys. Miriam, we're not going to... It's okay. Do you understand? You just can't do this. Something going on? The bottom line is we need each other. You need me. I need you. The person next to you needs you. Come on. I'm not just the only shepherd here. We're all in this together. I don't know every need here, but I'm sure within the context of the relationships here, we can make this happen and be more effective and care for our brothers and sisters. And so we get this concept in Ecclesiastes that if 
if a person falls and he's alone or she's alone, man, they're in real trouble. Come on. We need one another. We need one another. Back to Hebrews 10. We're going somewhere. Just hold on to your seats. Hopefully that place is a good place. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Again, there are three exhortations in verses 22 through 25 showing how we are to respond again to these um, great doctrinal truths in preceding chapters. One, again, we've already said this, but it's so imperative that we get it. And it even adds a little bit to the combination of what's needed in approaching God. It says, uh, one exhortation is that we draw near to God with what? A sincere heart. Okay? Find that right in verse 22. Uh, Two, uh, we enjoy. Guys, we get to enjoy the benefits of his sacrifice and his heavenly rule by confidently praying for mercy and help in times of need. Three, since we share in all these all the benefits of Christ's high priestly work. As Christians, we have a responsibility to minister to one another in love and godliness. Again, doesn't verse 24 say this? And le- um, I'm sorry, yeah, 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. I like that. In acts of love and good works, there is other, another translation say, let us think of ways to provoke I love that word. Man, my charge to you is who are you provoking today? Who's provoking you? Come on, that's the context. That's the reality of what we're doing here. We're not just sitting in a seat, give me my little goosebumps in worship, you know, pay my tithe, whoop-dee-doo, hear a couple good words and go on with my day. Come on. God is building something far more deeper and meaningful than just that. Come on, and you, you will spiritually die if you don't start operating as part of the body. Come on, and what is your goal? What is, what is it that we should be doing? We should be provoking one another in love to good works. My prayer is that we would be a community that is such... couple more things about Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, I read this thing called the New uh, Bible Commentary, and this is quite interesting about, this commentary is quite interesting, a little bit scary, so just hold on. I didn't write it, so I'm not, I, it's not my intellectual property, <laughs> so I take, you know, but I, I, there, hopefully we can paint something here and, and, and kind of get the, the, the real feel of what the writer is doing here. Um, he writes this in the New uh, Bible Commentary. It doesn't necessarily say the fellow. I think it's a collective between a bunch of different theologians. And it says this, It seems that a few of their number, meaning when we're talking about Hebrews chapter 10, 25, when the writer says, Do not neglect one another, or do not neglect the coming together. But it seems that a few of their number are in the habit of neglecting the responsibility, right? That's why he's confronting it. The warning about apostasy, and you can find it in later verses, 26 through 39, implies that people who deliberately and presently abandon the fellowship of other Christian believers are in danger of abandoning the Lord himself. I'm like, no! But I think sometimes we just hear things. We're like, oh, that's good. Yeah, I don't want to go. I don't want to. I want to be part of the body. 
But we don't really understand what really is taking place behind the scenes when we choose to neglect the coming together. And I'm sure that means far more than just showing up to church every Sunday. I mean, you can't really even fully understand verse 25 if you haven't really grappled with verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 10. It's not just coming together that makes it special. It's the provoking one another to love and to good works. Some of you guys are convinced. Some of you not so much. Because some of us, man, we just like to show up to church once a month. You know, that's, our, that's our deed, you know. We go, we go through life and, you know, we're the one, I call it the once or twice a month and five times gone. It's like, and then you're expected to know who it is. You're like, they walk back and you're like, hi, what is your name? Have you been here before? Yeah, it was like seven years ago. And you're like, oh, what's your name? She's like, oh, you know, so and so, you know, but, but that's the kind of mentality that we have in the church today. There's no real lasting, listen, this church has plenty of outlets for you to get connected and to know who's sitting next to you. If you don't know us, it's not because of us, friend. We have something going on every day of the week. Uh, I can't say that. I can say that because I get to hear it, so why can't I say it? I get to hear it day in and day out. Well, I don't really know how to connect. Are you serious? Something every day of the week is happening in this minute. Every, that is unprecedented. Multiple multiple times a day. Between small groups. Between prayer. Outreach. Church. And the list just keeps on growing and growing. But some of you just don't know how to connect. These guys are just not welcoming. They just, just don't have nothing going on other than Sunday. Are you kidding me? I wish. Mom, after today, I'll go back and set up a prayer room that is going to be used every day of the week, four hours a day. I don't know how to connect. Come to prayer. What should I do? Show up. Oh, I know. I can't say this in church, right? I can't, don't. Come on. Give us something of depth. Move me. <laughs> yeah, I want to move you, all right. I want to provoke you to stop neglecting your body. Stop neglecting your church. And church isn't just this roof and this place that we're meeting. Don't lay that on me. I'm more about people than you think. I'm not, this is not just something like, let's build a bigger church. I say, let's build a better family. That's what I say. But that is, listen, if I continue just to show up every once in a while in my family, my son's not going to care about me, my wife is going to divorce me, no, marry him, that's a joke. But if I continually neglect the needs of my family, something's going to happen. Something is going to interrupt our union. My son's going to become jaded. Dad's never around. Yeah, wow. Come on. This, thus is the same for us today, friend. Pro-church. Pro-church. Come on. This is, I believe that the church is the vehicle of which God wants to manifest His glory through. You know, we have a bunch of para-ministries in the world, but God, Jesus never said, I will build uh, para-ministries. I'll, I, you know, I will build this or that. 
He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Church is not a building. It's you and me. It's you and me doing life with one another. It's you and me caring for one another. It's me not neglecting you and you not neglecting me. It's in their sweating. It's in their praying. It's in their seeking and longing for God together as a family. Not apart. Not just on Sundays. If you even do that. I used to be there, guys. I was one day 20 years old. I was there, you know. I could quite honestly say that there were times in my life where I neglected the body that I was part of. And I can honestly say that that body suffered because I neglected, because of my attitude. I'm better than them. I don't want to get up this morning. (laughs) But thank God for pastors who laid into my life who, hold, who held me accountable and who called me to a higher standard. And I thank God for that. So Hebrews chapter 10, don't neglect. 25 says, don't neglect the coming, the assembling together. If you look at assembly, it speaks, its origins in the, in the Greek are gathering our church type assembly. You know, Sunday was never our day. It's the Lord's Day. Historically, biblically, it was a day of reflection for the people of God. And they just didn't reflect in their little closets at home. They came together. And they reflected. That's why in Hebrews, the writer writes about this new and living way. He's calling people not just just to uh, the gathering together, but reminding them why we gather together. What we should reflect upon when we gather. And not just what we should reflect upon, but that we have access to God now. And in that context, Jesus is near. Oh my goodness. Let's have church every day. It's funny because Hebrews chapter 10 is not too far away from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And if you're familiar with Acts chapter 2, 42, it's all the underpinnings of the early church. And the word that's actually used in Acts chapter 2.42 is that they devoted themselves to one another. If you study that word devoted, friend, you would probably be convicted (laughs) in your heart. It is not some passe, westernized definition of devotion. They were locked in, man. Locked in. And you know what Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews was doing? Because there was some now in that early stages of Acts chapter 2 verse 42 that were starting to neglect what God had started within this community. And the writers of Hebrews are, the writer of Hebrews saying, no, come back to this. Come back. Why have you strayed? Why have you gone far from the reality of Acts chapter 2 verse 42? Come back. They're cross-referenced. They cross-reference each other. Meaning that we get a better sense of what the writer of Hebrews meant in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, through looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And like the writer of Hebrews, I like to kind of sound an alarm in the church today. Let's get back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You know, as a community, we pray a lot for Acts chapter 2. We, we pray a lot for revival. But what about the area of devoting ourselves to one another? 
that word devotion, man, it will rock the Western world, man. It just, it is so unlike the context that we build in our churches today. So unlike, so far. And today, again, I stand, just like the writer of Hebrews, calling people back. This is not welcome back Sunday. This is taking back Sunday. It's not a band. It's the Bible. If you think mainly that I'm just talking about going to church again every Sunday, I am not, guys. Being a part of the church is so much more than just showing up. So much more. I often say, listen, if you're going to go to church, be the church. Don't be just a seat warmer. Don't be just a a giver and and write your check out and be done with it. Be the church. Listen, do you know that some of you in here could disciple uh, three, four, five younger men in this group? Some of you ladies could take three under your arm, disciple them. People are longing for discipleship. It's virtually impossible, would be virtually impossible for me to disciple everybody in this place. But you know what? That's what caring for one another looks like. We take a couple under our wings, older and the younger. Let's love one another. Let's do life together. It's interesting that, and it's humorous even, that another cross-reference verse to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 25, is John chapter 20, 19 through 29. You can turn there briefly. And now this is the story of Thomas, who was not present the first time that Jesus showed up after his death. Can you imagine that? Can you? Now, it behooves me that this would actually give us some kind of grid for what the writer of Hebrews meant, because that, that's what cross-reference verses do. They give us a better understanding of what do you mean? And in there we find John chapter 20, 19 through 29, where Thomas is not accounted for when Jesus shows up. Oh my God, Thomas, what is, first of all, what is wrong with you? <laughs> did Jesus not say all throughout the Gospels, did Jesus not make promises to his friends that he's coming back? Did he not say like on the third day he would be, you know, he would rise again from that tomb, but yet Thomas is missing in action. Interesting that that would be a cross-reference verse to Hebrews chapter 20, uh, 10, 25. But in my understanding, that would pretty much give light to what the writer's talking about. Not being there when you should have been there. Where were you, Thomas? On the evening, this is verse 19 of chapter 20 of the Gospel of John. It says, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together... With the doors locked. I love that. <laughs> oh my God. For fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So not only was Thomas not accounted for, but Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, breathed the Holy Spirit. Talk about failure. 
God is in the suddenlies. You want to be there. You never know when he's about ready to do something. And this remarkable verse in 23, I don't even know how to grapple with this, and it's not even what my message is about, but it says this in verse 23, words in red, Jesus is saying, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins will be forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. Woo! I don't know, Jesus, that's a little theologically crazy. Uh, Jesus appears to Thomas. Now, Thomas was one of the 12. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, it's interesting that the disciples went to Thomas. That's a whole action of trying to restore Thomas. That's exactly what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 18. So it clicked. It was a brief click. Some of you are, are thinking you got it, but you're not sure. But is that not the disciples taking action, going after Thomas? We've seen the Lord, Thomas. Now, Thomas had a reputation. He was a bit of a doubter. You know, he, he struggled. He's much like me uh, in many ways. And so the disciples go after him. It was an act of restoration. It's exactly what Jesus was talking about and the course of action that should be taken when we sin against one another. <laughs> go after them. <laughs> and if one doesn't work, take another with you. And if that doesn't work, go after them with the whole church. Could you imagine that today if one of you guys were walking away and we all collectively as a group, Hey! <laughs> Where are you going? Yeah, intervention. That's some intervention right there. So they say, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Wow, that's very specific, Thomas. <laughs> All right. Verse 26, a week later, his disciples stood among, uh, stood among them and said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, a week later, the disciples were in the house again, probably not with the doors locked, and Thomas was there. He was restored. He's, brought, he's come back to the fold. Maybe he's not fully convinced, but he's there. You know, he's still probably like, I got to put my fingers somewhere and, you know, to really be sure. Oh, the doors were locked. Jesus came. <laughs> Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. In my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. That's remarkable. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him something of which I think frames the whole story here in this particular chapter. He says, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet still have belief. You know, some scholars think that Thomas was off, kind of not scared like the rest of the disciples. Like he was just off, like boldly facing the persecutors at the time. And just like, I'm not going to cower in a room. I, I, you know, regardless of Thomas's state, there was an issue of belief that he was struggling with. And it's kind of interesting because Jesus had made... I don't know how many times I actually looked it up. I forgot to record it. But Jesus had made an ample amount of promises of his return. Exactly, specifically, what would happen when he died? What would happen when they killed him? That he would be buried, that he would rise again. But yet, that was not enough to keep Thomas. Thomas, somehow, his belief or his disbelief had to do with the promises 
of God. But it's interesting here in verse 10, 23, it says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promises. I've been kind of in the body of Christ for some time. And if there's one thing that I see where people are getting snuffed out and just unengaged and uninterested, it's over the issue of belief. It's over the issue of actually trusting God with his promises. Now, these promises noted here in Hebrews chapter 10, 25, go far beyond the extent of Jesus' return or Jesus' burial, uh, his death and resurrection. They speak right into your very personal promises that you feel like the Lord has given you. Has anybody here have any promises ever been spoken over their life? Come on, don't. Some of you are like, I, I think, I think. Some of you are like, Ugh, you're just looking at the wall like something's interesting on the wall. But, but how many of us have some promises here? Come on. You guys, this is Hilltop. This is not, uh, we're, we're not in seminary here, okay? This is, this is Hilltop. So all right to raise your hand, okay? But even that action, even that, I I think so, it's because we have so given up. And so I just don't see him, Lord. I've gotten so many promises, but I'm not even anywhere near. And I wonder just how many of us are dying a slow death. He's holding on. Guys, the bottom line is... God is faithful to keep his promises. I, I, have re, I have kind of conditioned myself, even if I don't see it in my lifetime, I'm going to hold tight. You know, the interesting thing about Hebrews chapter 10 is Hebrews chapter 11 falls. Not so interesting. But <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11 is all about faith and trusting the promises of God. The Bible in context. Thank you, Jesus. I see it. So right on the heels of chapter 10, the writer goes into talking about faith. Faith. And he starts bringing up stories of people that have never even seen the promises of God, but laid hold. They laid hold. They held on. We got so many jaded, critical Christians in the church today. I sometimes am in danger of the same thing. Please forgive me. But we have so many who have given up. I just don't see it anymore. I just, I don't believe it anymore. I wonder just how much Thomas had some doubt. Here is friend, brutally murdered, beaten to where they can't even recognize him anymore. Probably shell-shocked. Ah! Are you the son of God? Are you really God? Are you really going to do what you promised you would do? Are you really going to rise from this? I don't see it. I don't see it. And because of that, he's not to be accounted for. He's not amongst the assemble or the assembly of his other friends. Jesus was explicit. He promised over and over and over. He didn't leave his friends in the dark over what would happen. It is all there in red. You can see at least, I think I saw at least five or six times Jesus explicitly telling his friends what was going to happen. And some of us, I I feel like this is the same story with some of the things that God has promised. It is clear. It has been written in red. But yet, 
we put conditions on it. We put time frames on it. And if it doesn't, then we're done. Come on. Pro-church. Pro-church. Some of you are like, that's silly. I don't think so. I think, I think Cambridge has to see people who are pro-church. I think it's good to pray for revival, but I think something that's even more remarkable is the church being the church. Yeah. yeah. Let's pray for revival, but let's not act like the church. Let's not act like people who are actually vested, connected, looking out for one another, even to the point of somebody's going astray, we go after him like Thomas. Dude, we saw the Lord. We saw the Lord. Come back. Come on, Thomas. Let's get it. I'm, listen, dude, I'm not going to believe unless I touch the, the piercings. I'm not going to, until I stick it in this. I don't know who would want to do that. That's just weird. I think enough would be good just to see it would be evidence enough for me. But nevertheless, both the disciples and Jesus himself went to great lengths to restore Thomas. Here's Jesus. Hey, Thomas, go ahead, man. Stick your, stick your, stick your fingers in it. God, put it. I mean, it's a laughing thing, right? But it's real serious. It's, it's, it's interestingly, it's interesting the levels in the commitment that both Jesus and the disciples went to bringing Thomas back to his right mind. Of, again, rightly saying, you are God. You are God, and I believe. How many of us are willing to go to those links? I mean, none of us have holes in, in the piercings. But, but how many of us are are willing to go to great lengths for our brothers and sisters here in this room to restore them if needed. I promise to end by 11.45. We're going to continue the conversation next Sunday, but I'm going to pray. And then we're going to get an opportunity to be the church.